five things I wish Jesus never said. We're in this series right now, and it's kind of an odd series. Um, we're talking about the things that are, that are hard to read in Scripture. And so when we were talking about this series, and, and, and Paul and, and Steve and I were sitting down to, just to kind of talk about who's going to preach what and what this is going to look like, I, I remember thinking, okay, well, what, what do I wish Jesus didn't say? And for me, it became really, really clear really quickly that, that this morning I'm supposed to preach this. But, but in no way am I here to tell you exactly what it looks like or what give you a, an easy answer. You'll, you may have noticed that on the notes in the worship program, there's not fill in the blanks. We normally do that. Um, that's intentional. Um, this isn't me telling you uh, what to believe or, or how to approach this. This is me telling you my process of dealing with this. And so, and so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be kind of, um, we're going to be hanging out in Luke chapter 12. In Luke chapter 12, the, the story kind of opens up with a, with a crowd, with a mob. And, and we know something about, about crowds just from our, our daily interaction from, from watching, watching the news. We know that in, in crowds that there is a lot of potential for good. Uh, maybe you saw on the news last night the, the tragedy that happened out at the state fair with the stage and and the weather blowing that down, and some people losing their life. But, but one of the things that coming, is coming out of that already is the story of, of people cooperating together, about people working together, about people going back in um, into kind of this carnage um, to help others. But you also know that, that the crowds have the, the potential for, for, for bad, for, for harm, uh, for negative things. If you've seen the news last few weeks, you know what's going on over in England. Uh, these, these just mass riots and looting that is just kind of taking the, the country by storm. It's in London, it's in, it's in Birmingham, it's in Manchester. It's kind of all over the place. And, and so, for, so for us, we know how, how crowds can kind of feed off one another. We know that sometimes they, they do bad things over stupid things. In Vancouver, earlier this summer, this specific northwest city, this place where they had the Olympics, this world-class city, uh, their, their hockey team, the, the Canucks, was in the Stanley Cup. And, and they had this big viewing party outside in this kind of this downtown area, and they lost the Stanley Cup finals to the Bruins. And so the people of Vancouver rioted. They're like turning over cars and, and breaking down storefronts and, and burning, burning buildings and, and just destroying a lot, of, a lot of property. And so in that crowd... There's a lot of potential for, for good and for, for evil. That, that crowd, for whatever reason, that crowd mob mentality, all of a sudden people start to do things that they wouldn't normally do. It's kind of this weird groupthink type deal. If you know anything about world history, you know that, that dictators and, and, and people that, that are ruling very oppressively and taking their, their, their people down a, a negative road understand this. And they would have these big rallies and they would fire people up and get them on board with things that individually in a one-on-one conversation they would never go for. You know that crowds have all kinds of potential for good and evil. And so when we look at Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus interacting with a crowd. See, almost half of the, the gospel of Luke is Jesus on a journey where Jesus is intentionally and purposefully setting out for Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he knows that he's going to die. And so Jesus is spending all this time kind of on mission to go to Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 12, we kind of find a, a stopping point in this journey. And we see that Jesus is surrounded by thousands and thousands of people 
and, and, and it's kind of at the height of his popularity with, with others. And so Luke chapter 12, verse 1. Luke chapter 12, verse 1 says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered, so many, so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So Jesus has, comes across the situation. He's got people pressing in on him, wanting to hear what he has to say. People are, are kind of trampling. We, we hear stories about uh, uh, concerts where people are crushed or, or you know, horrible stories and ridiculous stories about Walmarts the day after Thanksgiving where, where people rush in and people get trampled. And so we see this story where, where people are on top of each other trying to get close to Jesus. And Jesus takes a moment, speaks to his 12, and he says, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He understood that that yeast, this little thing that makes bread bread, is is just like hypocrisy. It's a little emotion. It's a little attitude that suddenly sours a whole entire person. And he says, make sure that you don't look around at this crowd and feel like you are suddenly privileged or in the right just because people are showing up. Realize that the crowd doesn't give you free license to do whatever you want. And then later in Luke chapter 12, and this is where we're going to be spending the bulk of our time this morning, Starting in verse 49, we get the thing that I wish Jesus didn't say. Starting in verse 49, we, we have Jesus who's, who's kind of in the middle of this, this long sermon kind of telling people to be on the lookout and be, be, be careful about how they live. And in verse 49, he says this, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. mother Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So here we have this kind of odd picture of Jesus. This picture of Jesus that he says he's come to divide people. And if you're like me, you think of Jesus as the, the, the Prince of Peace. You think about Jesus in the garden when Peter takes a sword and chops off the ear of one of the guards that's arresting Jesus, and Jesus says that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. You think about the Jesus who is always welcoming and compassionate and, and loving to everyone he meets. We, we think about the Jesus that, that is often kind of depicted in artwork. And, and, and good or bad, we, we see these, these images of Jesus a lot, and there's there's a few of my favorites I want to show you. This first one is uh, Jesus' little lamb, this little shepherd. Isn't that sweet? Jesus kind of nuzzling this little little lamb and, and this little baby, kind of taking care of it. And he's kind of got the, the glowing radiance around him, you know. The second one might be my favorite. This is, a, this is Buddy Jesus. Uh, Buddy Jesus was from a movie a few years ago that you probably don't need to see, and I wish I kind of wouldn't have saw him. But, but Buddy Jesus was, uh, was in a movie, and they talked about the church rebranding Jesus. And so they're going to make this Jesus that was friendly and is, is kind of like your pal and everything's all right. And so you got Buddy Jesus. The other one's kind of disturbing. This is uh, Jesus laughing. Uh, now, I fully affirm the, the, the idea that Jesus laughed, that he, was, he told jokes. If he's perfect, that means he must have been perfectly funny and all that. But 
it's like his mouth has been photoshopped. It's like it's like been expanded a little bit. And so if he's perfect, he's going to have the perfect smile and laugh, which means, I guess, he's going to have a big mouth, which we'll move on from that statement. But the last one is uh, Jesus' football. Uh, a little figurine here. Jesus is handing the ball off or taking a hand off. I'm not really sure. Uh, but the thing about this that um, is theologically troubling for me is that is that number 21 is sacking Jesus. you got like a 12-year-old who's tackling Jesus. Now, I don't know what that's supposed to imply or what that means, but uh, you have football Jesus. And so some of those images are, are kind of reinforcing what we think about when we think about Jesus. We think about Jesus as this, this guy who we would want to be around, this guy who is, who is completely loving. And, and I affirm all of that. I think that that is true. I think that, that 1 John tells us that God is love, and Jesus was God on earth. And so for me, it's not an issue of whether or not he's loving or not loving. For me, it's that we're missing some of the, some of the other part of Jesus. There's this other dimension of Jesus where he was very, very firm at times, where what he taught and what he was announcing caused division and divisiveness. That what Jesus was teaching was hard. And that what Jesus was, was, was announcing and inviting people into caused something. And maybe you're aware of this. Maybe you, you completely understand what I'm talking about here. But, but ultimately, we don't define peace the way that Jesus would define peace. You know, we define peace in terms of being a, a rest. We think about peace as a, as a great vacation that we look forward to. So we define peace as, as kind of that escape. Maybe for you, you think about retirement. Maybe you're thinking about that time where you don't have to go to work anymore. You know, my, uh, my wife's grandfather, my grandfather as well, he, he used to, he was a hilarious guy. He used to talk about how he would still set his alarm in the morning, even though he was retired. He didn't have to get up for anything. But he would set his alarm so he could turn it off and go back to bed. And so maybe for you, you're looking forward to that retirement, that time where you're able just to be completely at rest and at peace. But that isn't how Jesus defines peace. So the peace that Jesus is offering us has nothing to do with inactivity. It has very little to do with, with, with rest. It has nothing to do with isolation. The peace that Jesus is talking about is the assurance and the comfort that we are with him. The fact that we don't have to be afraid of death. The fact that we don't have to worry about tomorrow. The peace that comes with the knowledge that we are loved fully. So we might define peace a little bit differently. And so when we read verses like this and we think about our, our, our understanding of Jesus, we're going to find some differences there. But maybe it's because we're not sure about what peace really means. And when I look at, at Luke chapter 12, we realize that, that the peace he's offering may not involve absence of conflict. When we realize that Jesus is bringing a sword we realize that Jesus is here maybe to divide us and cause us to make decisions. That, that, that's, a, that's an idea I'm not, I'm not comfortable with. That's an idea I don't like. I don't like the idea that if there's division, that means there's going to be some that are on one side and some on another side. I, that bothers me. It bothers me to think that I have friends and family that are, that are on the other side. Ultimately, what are we talking about here? We're talking about hell. We're talking about the thing that, the, the, the truth that we can choose to be separated from God now and we can choose to be separated God from eternity. 
Now, I don't know what heaven looks like. I don't know what hell looks like. But I know, I know that hell is a place where you're, you're far from God. And, and to be honest, this is a very, very, very big conversation right now. If you've gone to the bookstore, maybe you've seen some of these books out, and or, or maybe you've, you've heard about just there's a lot of controversy surrounding this idea of hell within church circles. And there's two main books in this, in this conversation, and, I, and, I, and I've read both, and I, and I respect and, and really um, admire both pastors who wrote these books, but they come out at two very different points. They, they come out at two very different points, but what I come... The one theme I come from this is that we all get a choice. That Jesus is is offering us an opportunity to make a decision. To make a decision whether we are going to follow him or whether we're not going to follow him. And that choice plays out in eternity, but it plays out here and now as well. That we can choose hell right now. I think about what's happening in, uh, in the Sudan right now, in the Horn of Africa. And there's this horrible famine. It's just a, a, uh, a weather crisis. They can't grow any food, and it's just, it's just horrible. And it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's made worse by the, the lack of infrastructure, the lack of security. But one of the, the big numbers I heard coming out of this is that 30,000 kids have died already from starvation. 30,000 kids. I, I think about that, and I don't really know how to get my mind around that. But, but, I, but I, I, I look deeper into it. What's happening is, is that you have a group of people who are ruling by terror that are hiding behind religion, that are preventing food from getting to these kids. That, to me, is hell. The, the, the idea that, I think this just happened last week or two weeks ago, that there was a, there was a man here in our neighborhood and people showed up at his door and they, they punched him in the face and knocked him down and went in and stole medications from him and stole money. Like that's, that's a hell that those people were driven to do that. Whether it's abuse or whether it's addiction or whether it's, it's just blatant sin or evil, we all see hell here and now. But we see heaven as well. We see heaven in, 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 the, in the, the brief glimpses where we experience God in a profound way. We get a glimpse of how things are supposed to be. And so I don't need to see the afterlife to know that heaven and hell are a reality. I don't need to get there before I make the decision. I can look at the world now and say it's real. I can read scripture now and realize that what he's talking about is not just symbolism. That there's something there to it. And when he talks about this in Luke chapter 12, there's the reality that that the there's the reality that we get have to make a decision. The reality that we have to choose. And in Luke chapter 12 and verse 49, he, he talks about, about fire. And obviously when we hear the word fire, biblically we think about judgment. We think about God's judgment on the world. But really there's, there's two main um, uh, definitions or meanings of the word fire when you see it in the Bible. And usually it means both. And the first is the judgment, is, is God kind of coming to make things right in a very, a very big way. But the second one is, is God's refinement, God changing us, God making us right. In Acts chapter 1, you see the, this day of Pentecost. See, Jesus had come, he had died on the cross, he rose from the grave, and then he's up walking around teaching and encouraging his people for about 40 days, and then he ascends to heaven. And so after he ascends to heaven, he had told them to wait 
He told his people, before you start the church, before you tell people about me, wait on my spirit. And so that's what these people were doing. They were in this upstairs room waiting. And in that moment of prayer, all of a sudden, there's this rushing wind and flames of fire that enter the room. And all of a sudden, God's spirit comes on them and they're able to do things they weren't able to do before. And they were able to carry out the message of the gospel. So fire can be the one thing we need. Fire can be God's spirit on us. Because because the church started with fire and it's going to end with fire. And in verse 50, the, the word order here is important. It doesn't read, it doesn't read that how I wish fire would come down, or it doesn't say fire, or sorry, it doesn't say I have come to bring fire. It says fire I have come to bring. Fire is the first word in that phrase. There's an emphatic nature to this, that Jesus is serious about this, that fire is something that has to happen. That there has to be division. There has to be some separation in our lives. And that ultimately that will result, result in some pain and some hardship. But every time you see fire, you know where it's been and you know where it hasn't been. In our lives, there should be such a change. Now you might be listening to this and you think, well, Josh, I'm a believer. I'm following Jesus Christ. I, my life is pretty dull. My life is fine. I, I've got things taken care of. I, I have things in order, so to speak. But if you flip back to verse 41 in this chapter, I think Peter asked the question that you would ask. In Luke chapter, 20, Luke chapter 12, verse 41, we have Peter who kind of asked this, this question. And this is what he says, if I can get there. Luke chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus is teaching. He's talking to, to the people around. And Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone. If you're a teacher, maybe you've had this question asked to you, but it was asked like this. Hey, teacher, is this going to be on the test? Is this something I really need to pay attention to? Is this really applied to me? If you're a teacher, you hear that, and you probably just want to like, throw an eraser at the kid or something. But, but you hear that, and what they're saying is, is, what you're saying isn't very important to me. I'd rather zone out. And so Peter comes to Jesus, and Jesus is teaching all this very, very hard stuff. And he says, he says, hey, Jesus, hey, we've got this figured out, right? We're your disciples. We don't need to hear this. We, we, we kind of have this, we're kind of living a life that's good, and so we can, just, we can just check out, right? We can just kind of step away. And I think that Jesus answers Peter's question later in, in verse, in verse uh, 51. Because cause, cause Jesus starts to talk about baptism. And I think in our, in our time this morning that the whole thing hinges right here in this moment. Because when he's talking about baptism, something goes on. Something, something's going on here. We think about baptism as what we did at the park a few weeks ago where we would dunk people and that would represent coming, come, becoming clean and coming into new life and being made alive in Christ. But baptism, that word literally means immersion. So it means to, to completely go into. It means to completely go into. And Jesus says that he has a baptism that he has to undergo, and he's distressed until it's completed. Jesus understands that he has a mission, and whenever he's talking about baptism in the Gospels, or not whenever, but a lot of times he's talking about his death. It was symbolic to be baptized, to die to sin, being made alive in Christ. And so for Jesus, there's a dual meaning here of the fact that he's approaching death. And he's encouraging people to enter into this this way of living, this new way of being human that involves dying to yourself. 
See, it's, it's not a situation where we come to church and we look for things to apply to our lives. It's not that we come to church and we look for something to, to snatch over here and put in this compartment. We're not, we're not asking ourselves to, to simply come on Sunday morning and then that covers the rest of the week in some way, in, in goodness or, or, or spirituality. But following Jesus is about being implicated into the story, where you hear the story and all of a sudden your entire life is a part of it. That you can't compartmentalize things. That you have to be fully immersed in this. And so Jesus responds to Peter's question, hey, aren't I good enough? Don't I have all, all this figured out already by saying, no, you need to be learning how to fully embrace this baptism. To fully embrace what I'm talking about. To fully join into this. Because if you're going to follow me, it's going to require some hard things. It's going to require some things that aren't comfortable. It's going to be very, very difficult um, to simply just go along with things. So it requires change. It requires different, different thoughts and actions. And, and maybe it requires you just to, to realize that this isn't it. That, that what we're living out here in this world isn't the end. That things aren't supposed to be like this. And that God has a, has a bigger plan for us. It's okay to call things that are evil, evil. It's okay to call those things out. It's okay to look at our own lives and, and realize the sin and the depravity and the ugliness that is us. Because ultimately, maybe, maybe you just need to be a little odd. Maybe you need to be a little bit different. Maybe you need to be someone who, who stands out a little bit. You know, that, that's kind of a, it might kind of, kind of freak you out or you think about what that might mean. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, it talks about being odd, being different for Christ. It says, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, though we, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Following Jesus Christ means that you change. Following Jesus Christ means that you're different. That you are allowing that fire of God, God's Spirit, to come in on you and change how you live. You're embracing that baptism to allow your whole life to be affected. That when Jesus announces the kingdom, this new way of living, He's not telling you that you can just do it halfway. He's not telling you you can just do it on Sunday morning. He's challenging you and inviting you into something that's very hard and is very complete. And in doing so, there's going to be division. There's going to be resistance from others, and there's going to be challenges that you're not going to want to take on. And so it might be, it might be overwhelming at this point to hear about this, so, so how does it look to be odd? Well, I think it's odd that as a church, we took on a building campaign in the middle of a recession. I think it's even odder that we did it. I think it's odd that people took a week off of, of work, a week of their vacation, and went down to Haiti and served in, in, in the heat and in the rain and amongst the poorest of the poor. I think it's odd that you, you might go to some stranger's house next month, walk in there and talk about the sermon in a connection group. That's not normal. I think it's odd if you, if you go and serve and you, you uh, go and serve with kids that, that spit up on you and you have to change their diapers. I think it's odd that you hang out with middle school students who you sometimes feel like they're talking a different language. And you do all those things not expecting to get paid or expecting a thank you. I think it's odd that maybe you show up at Thanksgiving dinner this year, 
knowing that there's going to be stress and anxiety and division and conflict, and you do everything you can. You bite your tongue. You let the other person go first. You speak good words into their life, and you serve them. That's odd. Being odd means that you are going to walk into your office on tomorrow morning, and you're not going to forward that email on. It means that you're not going to have that conversation about so-and-so behind their back. It means that you're going to live, you're going to work and, and do things ethically. Being odd is something that, that Christ is calling us to. Following out the kingdom is, is hard and it's difficult, but it's complete. And so maybe for you, there's, there's maybe just a couple steps that you need to take in this way. Because if you're going to, if you're going to take a stand with your family, if you're going to take a stand at work, if you're going to be bold or whatever, however you define that, I don't think you need to do that around politics or, or, or money or sports. I think you need, that needs to take place in terms of your following Christ. That you don't need to, to worry about those things that, that maybe don't matter and realize what really matters. And I wish, I wish, I wish that, that following Jesus didn't require decisions. I wish that, and I hope at times, that we're all going to get the, we're going to die and we're going to meet Jesus and he's going to say, come on in, it's fine. You don't, you don't have to, you don't have to worry about what you did or didn't do. But when I look at Scripture, I realize that there's a decision that we all have to make. Now, this, 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 this decision doesn't mean that you isolate yourself. Division doesn't mean that you step away. It doesn't mean that you are suddenly somebody who, uh, who, who's judgmental. It doesn't mean that you, 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 uh, you remove yourself from society. What it means is that you engage. What it means is that you, you take part in what's going on. It means that you are, you're a part of this. I, I know that, that Paul referenced this, this verse a few weeks ago, but in John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus is praying for his disciples. And he says, My prayer is not that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world as I am not of it. He's saying that you know, they don't belong here as neither do I. And it goes on to say, Sanctify them. By the truth, your word is truth. And so, so Jesus is saying that you shouldn't be removed from society, you shouldn't be removed from the culture, but you should stay in it. But beyond that, you need to be equipped with the word, We be equipped with the truth to go out and to do this. And it's not simply making a decision and, and being done with it, it's making a decision and realizing that it takes work beyond this. Because, because making, that, making that point and stepping out is, is, is something that you're going to face challenges in. It's not something that's going to be easy in what you're doing. And if we, if we come to the end of Luke 12, as we, as we come to the end of this, I don't, I don't have a nice, neat conclusion. I don't have a nice, easy action step. I don't have, you know, five steps to whatever. But what I have is, is, a, is, a, is a burden with this verse and this, this passage of Scripture. And this burden is, is that a decision is forced on us, whether we've made that decision before or we haven't. It is a decision that is, is, is pressed upon us. And when I look at the cross, and I look at the empty tomb, I realize that we don't have a choice in this. That those things force a decision in us. The kingdom of God is not waiting on you. The kingdom of God is not waiting for you to get on board. The kingdom of God is already, already moving and is active. And it says that forceful people take hold of it. The kingdom of God is inviting you in. This new way of living, of following Jesus Christ, it's invi- it's, it's, you're being invited into that. But God doesn't need you. 
we, we come to the end of this and we realize the division that takes place when we follow Jesus. The division happens when we start to change. When we start to be different. And so maybe you're, you're one of the members of the crowd this morning. That you show up to church just like those people showed up in Luke chapter 12. You've come to, to feel good. You've come to, to be encouraged. You've come because you've heard things. You've come for whatever reason, but you're here. And all of a sudden, you, you expect to be, be told something great, and you're told something hard. Or maybe, and I suspect most of us are in this category, because I'm, and I'm in this category, you're like Peter. And you want to say to God, like, God, God I work for a church. I don't need to hear this. God, I've been coming to church all my life. I, I believe, and I've been baptized, and all this stuff, and I serve, whatever it is. I don't need to hear this. But the reality is, is that... There's not a one-time decision here in terms of following Jesus Christ. There's not a point where we can just check a box and be done with it. If Peter hadn't figured it out by now and God's still calling him into more, I think he's calling us into more. He's calling us into a, a fuller expression of following him. Because for us, following Jesus Christ is a process. And following Jesus Christ is something that, that is, is difficult and hard. Here in a moment, we're going we're gonna to sing, and we're going to celebrate some more. But when we do this, don't, don't, just, don't just sing. Don't just sit, come up here and read the words. Maybe this is a time where you need to say, and maybe you need to write on your connection card and follow up with somebody. Maybe you just need to say that I want to start following him. I'm making this decision for the first time, that I want to commit my life to this. Or maybe you're like me, and you're, you're just, just kind of wrecked by this scripture and realize that, I need to be making this decision. And there are people around me that I love that haven't made this decision. And that should bother you. That should, that should bother you to the core because that division is real. And in that division, we have people on one side and people on the other. And we're in that mob and we're in those thousands of people and we have a decision to make. Let's pray. Father, this is, uh, Lord, your, your scripture is hard. Your word is hard. Uh, Lord, your word is something that challenges us. Your word is something that, that pushes us to something greater. Uh, but Lord, I, I thank you that that, that that step really isn't about us. If anything, it's about us letting go of ourselves. Father, we recognize that there's going to be division there's going to be hardship through this. Lord, we realize that, that following you isn't easy, but Lord, we ask for help in it. Lord, as we pursue peace, as we define it, let us start to realize that we need to pursue peace as you define it. That the peace of God is something that we don't understand. It's not something we can, we can comprehend, but it surpasses everything we know. It's incredible. And so, Lord, I pray for people in this room right now, maybe that person that has never, ever asked, asked you in, has never asked to start following you. Lord, I pray for that person that, that God, you would be working in them. Father, I pray for those, those of us who have heard countless sermons, been to countless Sunday morning services, and maybe just need to be reminded that this process never really ends. And that following you 
is always about being changed and being refined by your spirit. Father, I just pray. I pray for a spirit of, of honesty where we can, all, we can all say and understand where we are and realize that maybe we're farther away from you than we thought. Father, I just pray that your word is heard and not my words. Lord, we love you. It's your son's name. Amen.